This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you are visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest. And we have a visitor's card in the back of your pew that you can take out and fill out for us. And you can pass that card into me or to one of our six shepherds. Or there's a box in the foyer that you can place that card into as you depart this morning. We hope and pray that you'd stay with us this afternoon. I don't know if you can look out the window there, but you see some barbecue going on, right? They need to be in here, amen, but that's all right. They're out there barbecuing. So we've got plenty of food. We want everybody to stay and to eat and fellowship and let us get to know you and you get to know us so that we can invite you back out here because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. And you can probably sense that this morning, the love and care that we have for one another here. This is a very, very special place. And I like what Ken said. If you've been here three times, you are a member. You just haven't filled out the card yet. So make sure uh, you do that. Today is a, uh, just a bittersweet Sunday uh, for us. I can't even look at Aaron and Lizzie. That's why I'm going around like this, trying not to make eye contact. Um, you know, this is their last Sunday with us, uh, and we are saying goodbye. But as a military child, I've learned that we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. And I am excited to know that they'll only be five hours away from us, and they'll be back out here soon. And uh, I'm going out to Phoenix to go see them as soon as they get settled to see what they're doing out there. Uh, you know, they have been such an encouragement to our congregation. Uh, they have uh, volunteered all the time for different events and have been a very big helping hand to our church here. They always step up to the plate and lend a helping hand for anyone that's in need, and personally, they have been a blessing to Mary and I for our past two years that we've, we've been here. Many of you who have been members of different congregations know that whenever you go to a congregation, there's always a few people there at that church that you just really, really, really connect with. Now, you love everybody and you have good relationships with everybody, but typically there's a, a handful of people that are just kindred spirits that you connect with. Aaron and Lizzie have been that for us here at this church. Uh, and I'm sorely going to miss them, uh, but I'm going to be out seeing you guys pretty soon. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be there soon and checking up on you. And we're praying for you as you consider... Uh, a life in the ministry, and I know God is going to open up doors, and we're going to continually pray about that and pray for that. And Lizzie is going to be teaching, uh, and what I love about her teaching career is that she's doing Teach for America, and their whole job description is to go into inner city schools that are struggling, that have a, a poor reputation in the community, uh, schools that uh, are marginalized and disconnected and don't have the resources that they need. They send teachers like Lizzie into those schools to better the kids' lives and to help that school system. So Lizzie, in her career, is following a calling that I think is just so, so neat and so amazing. And I think that it speaks to the character of both Aaron and Lizzie. So we are, we are saddened, but we are excited for you as well. And we want everybody to stay and celebrate with us. Uh, in honoring Aaron and Lizzie and for their service here at this church. 
This morning, we are going to close out our three-part sermon series entitled Courage. So for this month, we have been working our way through some material that deals with with how to have more courage uh, for the Lord. And in part one, we talked about the importance of having the courage to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. We know we live in a time and a day and age where Christian opinion is not really welcomed. Many people don't want to hear your thoughts, your ideas. They don't want to hear about your Jesus, your Lord, your church. Just be quiet about that. So Christians, if we are going to live out our calling and be courageous for the Lord, we have to be able to speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. So that was part number one. And in part number two, last week, we talked about the courage to face our faults. I don't know if you know this or not, but all of us have faults. And you're like, yeah, I <laughs> Really, Jason? Yeah, it's all of us have faults. All of us have issues. All of us have uh, deficiencies in our lives that we constantly need to work through and improve on. And it takes courage to look at yourself in the mirror, doesn't it? And to acknowledge the fact that you have faults, that you have error in your life, and that you need to repair it. And it takes courage to be able to, to, to look at that and to view that and to, to clean out that closet. And God is pleased when we're able to do that. And finally today in part three, uh, just a fitting topic for a fitting time, we're going to spend time today closing out our series and talking about the courage to follow our calling. The courage to follow our calling. I want to make this clear to you this morning that you have been called by God. Everyone here this morning that it is in this church facility, this building, has been called by God for a specific purpose, and God has given each and every one of you a very specific and powerful and special gift. And you've got to have courage to use that gift, whatever it might be. So we're going to spend time looking at some scriptures this morning. And the first passage that I want to look at and review together is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Ephesians 4 and verse number 1 in the scripture says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. I want to spend some time looking at this verse and pull out a couple of ideas that you may have not considered uh, as you look at this verse. I, I'm going to admit something this morning, and you pray for me, okay? I love reality television. <laughs> some of you do too, I can tell, yes. Uh, but I love reality TV, so pray for me. I watch it all the time. One of the shows that I watch and Mary knows, I stay up late hours watching it, is Lock Up Raw. And if you haven't seen that show, <laughs> what it is, it's a show about life behind bars as a prisoner. And it's really intriguing to me because I have never been a prisoner before. I have, that's right, you guys, we're happy about that. I've never been a prisoner before. I don't want to be a prisoner, but I'm so intrigued about what people have to go through when they find themselves in predicaments and get in trouble with the law. So you have these camera and these film crews, they go into the prison and they interview these prisoners and they show what they have to go through on a daily basis. So the prisoners are locked up 23 hours a day, right, in their, in their cell. 
And then they have one hour of rec time on the yard where all they do is work out. And then the, the camera person will go up to the prisoner and say, what are you in here for? And the guy will mention or the woman will mention what they're in for. And then all of them say, I am not guilty, though. I am not guilty. I did not commit the crime. There's something about the life or the prison life that is not very appealing to us. Amen? When I look at that show, I say, that's a place that I don't want to go. I don't ever want to be a prisoner. But as we read through the pages of Scripture, and as we look at this particular text, the Scripture says that we are prisoners for the Lord. So what does that mean, then, to be a prisoner for the Lord? By definition, a, a prisoner is someone who has been deprived of liberty against their free will. And when we say liberty, basically your freedom has been taken away against your free will. Now the difference for us today as we consider what it means to be a prisoner is that we give up our free will to accomplish and to accept God's will. We become prisoners by choice. And I hope you realize that when you became a Christian, you said, I'm giving up my life to the Lord. And it's my free choice and I'm willing to do that. Which means then that you are required to do exactly what he says to do. And that's not a popular thing today within our culture. We live in an individualistic society where it's all about free and I can do whatever I want to do. But guess what? When you come into the church, all of that is taken away. You can't do what you want to do. It's not all about you anymore. It's all about him. And sometimes we neglect that calling, that peace in our lives in our Christian journeys, in our Christian walks. We have free will to do whatever we want to do, the scripture says, but when we became a Christian, we gave it all up to follow the will of the Lord. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is the mission of God? What, what does he want to do in the world today? What is God's purpose here? Why are we even here? You know, God has a mission for the world today. And you know what the mission of the Lord is in the world today? To reconcile everybody to himself. God wants everybody to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's his mission and that's his purpose. And when you become a Christian, you sign up for that very same mission to seek and to save that which is lost, and to be ministers of reconciliation. So that is our mission as well. And then the scripture says here something that's very interesting. We ought to live a life worthy of the calling. So I gave you one calling. One of your callings is to reconcile the world to the Lord. But all of us have a unique calling or a unique gift within that. It's a, it's a calling, and a calling means our, our life's work or our vocation, and it's based upon the spiritual gifts that God has given all of us. Our calling, and I want to make this clear, and if you're not taking notes, you should write this one down. Our calling and our career don't have to be the same thing. Did you know that? I want you to think about that. Now, if your calling and your career are the same thing, you know what you're called? 
lucky. Because <laughs> that doesn't happen for everybody. I would say 90% of our congregation is probably in a place where their career and their calling don't match up. So what am I telling you to do? Quit your job. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? No, that's not what I'm telling you to do. Our calling and career might not be the same thing, but we have to figure out a way to carry out our calling even within our career. And that's difficult to do. I heard of a CEO of a very large company, organization, a billion-dollar company, and one of the things he would do is he would coach youth basketball. And he was a powerful guy, and the guy went up and interviewed him and said, why are you doing this? You're the CEO of this billion-dollar corporation. You can pay people to mentor kids and do all that stuff. You know what the CEO said? He said, I coach basketball because this is my life calling. And people thought that was really interesting. He said, yeah, my life calling is to mentor and to help youth and to train them, and that's what I do. So all I'm saying this morning, church, whatever your career is, might not necessarily be your calling, but you've got to figure out a way to use your calling. You need that career to pay the bills, amen? Don't quit that. Don't quit your day job, but figure out how to use your calling. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says this. Here's a big one. Underline this in your Bibles if you have not. This is a really important text. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Don't you wish all of us could just come forward this morning and stand on this stage and our shepherds can lay their hands on us and tell us what our gifts are? That'd be great. We'd probably have a long line, wouldn't we? It kind of doesn't work that way, but it kind of does work that way. You know, one of the things that uh, Ken did a while ago that I thought was so powerful is he realized, and our shepherds realized, that not everybody knows what their spiritual gift is. So one of the tools that we use to figure out what your spiritual gift is is kind of like a spiritual gift survey or test. By a show of hands, how many of you took that? Okay, put them down. You know what I'm going to say next, right? <laughs> For the other half, you better go take that test. Some of you are saying, I already know what my gifts are. That's great. Take it anyway so we can know what they are so I can bother you, right? No, but everybody needs to know what their gifts are. And if you don't know what they are, there are ways to figure that out. So I want to look real quickly at the life of Timothy to look at what his spiritual gifts were and how it impacted his work in the church. First of all, who was Timothy? If you've ever been to any of our Bible classes or our studies, we've spent a lot of time talking about Timothy. Timothy was a young guy. We don't know exactly how young he was. Some say as young as 16. Some say as young as 40, right? We just simply don't know. All we know is that Timothy became a companion to Paul. And he would go around and accompany Paul on various missionary journeys. Timothy was converted to Christ through his mother and his grandmother. And Paul looked at Timothy and he said to Timothy, I see that you have some gifts within you that need to be used for the Lord. You have a calling on your life and you've got to use those gifts. And many of you might be asking, well, what were the gifts of Timothy? Many commentators say that Timothy's gift was evangelism. 
and that's why he was called an evangelist. Others say that he was a leader, and that's why when he would go to various churches like Ephesus, so forth and so on, he would be involved in the leadership. Timothy knew what his gifts were. The problem that we face today within the church is many of us just don't know what our gifts are. And like I said, I would encourage you to make sure you take that test. And if you need a copy of it, you can see Ken. There's stuff online. We can make sure we figure that out for you. But what Paul says to Timothy, you know your gifts. Make sure you don't neglect them. And you know what it means to neglect, right? Turn aside and turn your back on, to turn away from your gifts. And a lot of times what we see in churches is that there are people here with amazing gifts that simply just neglect them. You know who Pee Wee Kirkland is, don't you? No? Pee Wee Herman? Okay, you know who that. Pee Wee Kirkland. Let me tell you about Pee Wee Kirkland. Pee Wee Kirkland, great name by the way, was an amazing basketball player better than LeBron James, better than Kobe Bryant. I know, I don't believe that one. Better than Kobe, better than Michael Jordan. When he was nine years old, 10 years old, they say he could dunk a basketball, right? When he was in high school, he was a top recruit. I think when he was in high school, he was about 6'9 already. And everybody said that he's going to go into the NBA and become the greatest basketball player that ever walked the face of the earth. The reason why you've never heard of Pee Wee Kirkland is because he never made it to the NBA. And why didn't he make it to the NBA? They say that he was lazy and apathetic and wasn't disciplined and was fearful and didn't take advice from others and didn't put his gifts into practice. So eventually he dropped out of his basketball arena, his sport, his career, his field. He turned to a life of drugs and was killed on the streets in Brooklyn. Never made it to the NBA. Have you met somebody like that? That has an amazing gift, but for whatever reason won't use it. You ever meet anybody like that? Has so much intelligence so many skills, so much talent, but they simply won't use it. I think our Lord sometimes sees that in the church. And I think this morning, church, there are many of you that have amazing gifts, but aren't using them for the Lord. And God wants you to do something about that this morning. We neglect our gifts through fear. We neglect our gifts through laziness. We neglect our gifts or our calling through arrogance. We neglect our gifts or calling through jealousy. And the scripture says here, we are called to devote ourselves wholly to them or fully to them. And like I said, that doesn't mean quit your day job and become a missionary overseas. For some, maybe But for others, that means you grow where you're planted and you use your gifts wherever you are. And I hope and pray this morning, church, that we're able to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Highlight that verse and write it down. We must, Scripture says here, fan into flame the gift or calling that God gave us. And you know how we do this? By surrounding ourselves, number one, with a community of faith. And that's why it's so, so vitally important to be a part of a church. And if you have not placed membership at a church yet, you need to do that. If you haven't placed membership here yet, do that. You need to be surrounded by a community of faith. There's a reason why many millennials don't attend church anymore. And I tell you what, one of the things that I love so much about our church is when I came to this church, I met millennials and Gen Xers. And when I would hang around them and spend time with them, you know what they would do? Encourage me and build me up. And it's powerful. And we need a community of faith, people here to help encourage us to use our giftedness. When I was first a preacher, Aaron, I started, I guess, about 10 years old at my grandfather's church that he started in Sylvania, Georgia. The church was a uh, trailer, and it didn't even have a bathroom on the inside of the church. There was an outhouse. Do you know what that is? An outhouse? <laughs> outhouse! And we had chickens on the front lawn. We didn't even have a foyer. That's what the foyer was. It was grass and chickens, right? And every Sunday I would go to church and my grandpa would say to me, Jason, you got your lesson ready? I said, Grandpa, you didn't tell me I was going to preach? He said, you got to be ready at a moment's notice, right? So I would get up there and I would preach. And my sermons lasted for about three minutes, right? And two of them was the invitation. Here, <laughs> believe. I would just say it long, <laughs> right? And, you know, every time I preached, there was only 15 people at that church, 12 of which were my family, right? <laughs> they would always say to me, that was an amazing sermon. Matter of fact, that was the best sermon I've ever heard, right? And I would go, all right, <laughs> I guess I can do this, right? And wherever I was, wherever church my family landed at, I would get up and preach. Somebody would say, you go up there and preach, encourage me. And I would get up there and people would say, you keep it up. You're going to be a good preacher one day. And that used to make me mad. You know, I still hear that today. Hopefully I'm getting there, but you're going to be a good preacher one day. And what they did is it just encouraged me to use that gift. And now I love what I get to do. I get to preach the gospel because someone encouraged me to use that gift. And that's what the church is here to do, to encourage one another and build each other up to use their gift. You know how else you can use your gift or figure out how to use your gift? is by service. Just go get involved doing something. What we have today is we have a Vacation Bible School volunteer table set up just for you. <laughs> if you haven't signed up yet, I would encourage you to go sign up. You might find out what your gift is. There's also some donation buckets. Make sure you figure out what we're asking, okay, and donate some things. Get involved in what you put your life into practice, your gifts into practice. It's amazing to see how God used them. We can't be ashamed of using our gifts in a public way. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16 says this. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Preserve them in them. Persevere in them, excuse me. But 
because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your, your hearers. Interesting text. I got a story to tell you. <laughs> what this verse is saying to me is make sure you do what you teach. Right? So at my old church, and it will remain nameless, it was up in Sacramento, but um, at my old church, we had a, a, an older gentleman there, and his job at the church, he was, he was a part of the benevolence team. As a matter of fact, he, he was the benevolence guy. And whenever there's a benevolence guy at the church, you know what typically happens. Whenever someone at the church or shows up at the church and has a need, we send them to the benevolence guy. And the benevolence guy is supposed to be what? Benevolent, right? So if there is a need, they are sent to this gentleman, and this guy is supposed to take care of the need, at least at a minimum pray, right? This guy uh, came to a men's business meeting one day. We didn't have shepherds. We didn't have elders. So he came to a men's business meeting, and he said to the men in the business meeting, you know what? It's just amazing to me. I'm the benevolence guy, but never, we never have a benevolence need. And I thought to myself, ah, that's pretty interesting. We live in Del Paso Heights, and there are no benevolence needs? That's interesting to me. He said, yeah, I just don't know what it is. God, God isn't sending people our way. And I was thinking to myself, that doesn't sound right. And this guy was probably the most grumpy and angry and meanest person at our church, and he was in charge of benevolence. He was so mean, in fact, we had a guest speaker one Sunday, and he preached for about 32 minutes. 32, right? Two over 30. One day he got up during the middle of the summer, summer during that guy's sermon and turned off the air conditioning. He said, if I can't get him out, I'm going to sweat him out, right? So that... That's what he did. This is how mean that guy was. But yet he was in charge of benevolence. How does this work? You see, if you're teaching and your actions don't line up, you are not effective at all. So you know what we do really good within our fellowship? We know our Bibles well, don't we? We can teach like the best of them. We know Scripture. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, right? Salute one another with the holy kiss. The church of Christ, salute. We know. But is our teaching matching up with what we're doing? And I can say we might be deficient in that area just a little bit. I know I am. And I'm sure many of you this morning can say, I've been too. So I would encourage you to make sure that what you teach and what you do match. Because if you do, Scripture says you will save both yourself and look at this one and your hearers, because everybody's watching you and what you do. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Here's what Paul tells Timothy also about his gift and his calling. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. That's an important one. Guard what has been entrusted to to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, what some have professed and in doing have wandered from the faith. What I love about this text is it's telling us that our gift is not our own. It doesn't belong to us. Whatever, you gift, whatever gift you have, it's from God. He gave it to you, and he wants you to use it. It's not yours. You don't have a choice whether you use it or not. It's his. He gave it to you, and he wants you to use it. And in this verse, he says he wants you to protect it. He wants you to protect it. And you know what that means? 
don't let anybody discourage you. And discouragement is a tough thing, isn't it? That means don't let anybody stop you. Don't let any situation discourage you from using your gift or your calling. Satan uses people to keep people from using their gifts. That's what he is in the business of doing, and he's really, really, really good at it. I don't know if you've heard of the Grammy Award-winning artist Lauren Hill. Maybe some of you have, maybe you haven't, but Lauren Hill is a Grammy Award-winning artist, an amazing singer. She got her start, and it was pretty rough because Lauren Hill could not sing a note at all. I mean, she was horrible. She would get up there and squeak. She sound, you know, worse. I mean, anyway, I'll stop. She was horrible. She was terrible. And everybody around her would say, you, you probably don't need to do that, right? You, you probably need to try, try to find a new profession because this singing thing isn't going to work out for you. But she kept at it. She kept working. She didn't let anybody discourage her or stop her. She said, I think God has given me this gift, and I'm going to develop it and work hard, and I don't care what you say. And eventually, she became an amazing singer and won multiple Grammys because of her voice. Some of you have gifts that you're not using because somebody has discouraged you. Somebody's in the way. Somebody said, you're not good enough. You can't do that. You don't want to do it. Satan is good at what he does. Scripture says here, guard what is entrusted to your care. If I let people discourage me, I wouldn't be preaching. You know how many comments I get every single day or Sunday about my sermon? Every time. And if I let that bother me, I would just quit. You know, but what I do now is when people say, you know, some things about my sermon, I say, well, thank you for sharing. And in my head, I'm thinking, don't ever tell me that again. But anyway, thank you for, thank you for sharing. I really, really appreciate that. Your feedback is valuable to me. I'll put that on my to-do list. Right? And I don't let those negative comments bother me. And guess what? I don't let positive comments bother me either. I'm like this. Somebody said, that's an amazing sermon, Jason. That's one of the best you gave. Thank you. I don't let that go to my head, just like I don't let the negative comments bother me. I stay light right here because I know what God has called me to do, and I'm going to carry it out if you like me or if you don't. And that's the mindset and attitude that we have to have, church. Don't let anybody discourage you from doing what you're called to do, what God gave you to do. And then lastly, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12. Here's something that you need to underline and remember. It says this, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Something that I want you to remember about this verse. It says, fight the good faith, fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. You know, when you start thinking in terms of using your gifts and you recognize what your calling are, you're probably like, yes, I know what it is. Now I'm going to go do it. And everything's going to be easy. You ever been there before? I'm going to use my gift and everything's just going to go smoothly. I know I have this gift and this ability and I'm going to walk down this path and all kind of doors are going to open up and there's not going to be any problems, any trouble, anywhere I go. You know, that's a very naive way of thinking, isn't it? When you use your gift, realize that you have to fight in order to use it, right? When Jesus was on the earth sharing the gospel with people, he never had problems with anybody, right? If I remember scripture, I think they killed him because he was using his gift. 
So remember, if you use your gift, you're going to be up against a fight. And many of us, what happens is, is when we get into the fight, we quit. And that's why the scripture says, don't let anybody, keep doing good. Because in due time, you'll reap the benefits. Keep doing good. Don't let anybody stop you from doing good. Don't get weary in doing good and in using your gift. Because you have to fight in order to use it. Paul, when he was doing his missionary trips, went around to various churches asking for support to do his ministry. And he said in his writing, I went to many churches and not one person, not one church helped me to spread the gospel except for you. So we got to be mindful of that. We're going to be up against opposition when we use our gifts. And that's why this Christian walk is not for the faint of heart or for the fearful. So in conclusion this morning, I'm really encouraging you to have the courage to follow your calling. This morning, if you don't know what your gifts are, you got to figure out what they are. We have tests provided. You, you, and here's a good way to find out what your gifts are. Listen to other people around you sometimes, loved ones anyway. Listen to your family. Come to the community of faith at the church and let people encourage you. That's a great way to find out what your gifts are. Listen to your spouse. Mary tells me all the time what my gifts aren't, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we have those tools in place, and they can help us. And if you need help in any way in figuring out what your gifts are, connect with us, and we'll help you through that.